Hey guys, Alex Lokes here from Classic Camera Revival, and today we are going to be talking about some of the cameras we love and use a lot, and these are cameras that have been used by professionals, are still used by professionals, because everyone around the table has at least once been paid for their photographic work, and if you're getting paid, that makes you professional. Doesn't so, make you good, though. Well, that's a whole other topic. If your mom's paying you. <laughs> Let's roll it. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the greater Toronto-Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right. So one of the nice things about film photography and film cameras these days is that a lot of the cameras that were used by the pros can be had for relatively inexpensive costs these days. Some more expensive than others that are on the table today. So we are going to work through some of the less expensive ones up to the more expensive ones. So kicking it off is Mr. Bill Smith. <coughs> Thanks, Alex. Now... Everyone knows I'm a bit of a Nikon fanboy, but you know, I also own a fair bit of Canon FD gear, and I am going to talk about two cameras that share the same model number, and Canon has sort of taken this philosophy forward with the 5D, and I think it's what, Mark whatever at this point. So anyway, we're going to talk about the F1. The F1 was introduced uh, spring 1971, roughly at the same time the Nikon F2 was introduced. And it was really sort of Canada, Canon's first foray into professional uh, film photography market. Uh, it, it was uh, replaced in 1981 by the new F1. Yes, really original model number designations, but hey, more on that later. So like the F and the F2 from Nikon, the F1 is a definitive system camera that came out with a massive boatload of lenses. Uh, the, the FD, originally the FD breech lock, which replaced the FL. You can use FL lenses on the earlier Canon F1s in stop-down mode. Now, of course, the Canon F1 had various uh, head uh, options. You had a sports finder, you had a waist level finder, of course, the most common ubiquitous eye-level prism, which looks really sexy. And, of course, the bodies came in any colors you'd like, as long as it was black or extremely off-white. So the speeds came from between bulb and one two thousandth of a second. The meter sensitivity took you to 1,600 uh, 1, uh, ISO. Uh, the meter itself is rather straight interesting because unlike the standard put a photo cell into the prism head or in by the shutter, this was actually beside the uh, focusing screen. Interesting. Yeah, it was a rather interesting design. For the Canon did a lot of interesting design work with their cameras. And some, some makes logical sense and delivers amazing results all the time. Other times you sit there and it's like, what the hell were you guys thinking? Uh, I think at one somewhere, I think I read they 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 boasted they had more working parts than uh, their competitor F2. I'm not sure if that's a good thing, or you know, or if you're Canon repair tech, you're you're just smiling like a madman, going, "Yeah, more money for me because I'm charging per hour." <laughs> so the Canon F1 was out on the market. It was a p positioned to professional photographers or wealthy amateurs. 
it, mid, around the mid-1970s, just after, I think, the 76 Olympics, that there was a slight refresh of the camera. Cosmetically, it looked the same. However, the film advance uh, had a shorter throw. They modified the lever a bit. They have a little plastic tip. You had uh, an uprated meter sensitivity to one thirty, uh, 3, uh, 3200 ISO. And, of course, you had a lot of little thingy in back to hold your... Uh, your film reminder. Memo holder. Memo holder. Thank you, sir. And, of course, uh, Canon F1s, like their Nikon F2 brethren, do not have a flash hot shoe. So you need the little accessory to go over the rewind knob, just like the Nikon, so you can run your OEM or aftermarket flash. Now, uh, this camera line went from up until at 1981. Uh, Canon, uh, Nikon replaced their F2 with the F3 a year, I believe the year before, 1980. So Canon Ken was almost replying to it. And they came out with the new F1, kind of like uh, introducing a super group. Uh, it, it, if you squint, yeah, it looks kind of similar. But in reality, is, it is a new camera from the ground up. Uh, the uh, the the camera finish is different. It's it's much duller. It came with a uh, hot shoe on the prism. You have uh, it came with a, unlike the original 1970s Canon F ones. Uh, it came with a hybrid shutter. So below one sixtieth a second, all the uh, shutter speeds are electronically controlled with a six volt battery, just like the A series. So if you've got like an, an AE1 or an A1 and you've got those batteries and you, you want a new F1, you, you can just pull into your battery pool and off you go. Like its older brother, the original and F1N lowercase, the new F1 had multiple uh, prism head options. You can get the eye-level prism head, with the, uh, which basically makes it a manual focus camera only. You can put a, a flash on top. You're good. The F1AE, from if you squint from a distance, it kind of looks like an F3, but it's not an F3. It has the ability with the AE prism head, you can do aperture priority. Now, Canon, in their infinite wisdom, uh, decided to have a separate uh, meter readout for the AE uh, compared to the uh, manual focus, which is sort of, uh, I found to be a bit of an Achilles heel. Now, just uh, for the Canon fans out there, I'm not beating up on the uh, F1 exclusively. The F3 has its, Nikon F3 has its own Achilles heel with its meter readout, its LCD, and once that puppy goes... You're at, screwed. Uh, yeah, unless you have a real master Yoda of a Nikon repair tech who's willing to take on that repair job, and very <laughs> few do at these this day and age. You'd actually need to send it to Nikon, and they've already ended that. In fact, my old F3 was one of the last ones through. Yeah, so each has their own Achilles heel. Now, as a camera to use, regardless whether it's the original or the new F1s, they're a, just a joy to use. Like, they're, they, everything is smooth. Uh, you can't get a bad photo out of them. And again, with the original F1, it, it's, had, it's from the 70s, so it's got the 625 battery issue. But again, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, when you come across a camera like that, there are workarounds. Everything from an MR9 adapter to just getting it uh, adjusted and just use a spacer. Mm. Or if you're really crazy, you can find an alkaline 625 batteries, but it is a bit of a search uh, on the interwebs. Now, uh, if you're asking me, and you're say you're a Canon fan, you got an AE1 or an A1, it's starting to die on you, and you're kind of sitting there going, crap, I want to trade up. 
Which one should I get? Well, the new F1, as brilliant as it is, it has got jam-packed full of electronics. And more and more repair techs are kind of like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to work on that or not. And parts, of course, are getting a little scarcer. The older F1s from the 70s are the ones I'd recommend because, A, the shutter is fully mechanical. Uh, the battery is an easy uh, an easy fix. And of them, I would probably recommend the... Uh, F1 lowercase n from probably 1976 to 1981. It's giving you the best of all worlds. You've got the shorter film throw. Like I have an early one from 1972, and I've got the, the late, you know, and it's like one of those sort of uh, if I knew then what I know now. Yeah, the later 70s one would be the one I would look at, and it will give you years, if not decades, of trouble free service if you give it a good CLA. Um, on that, uh, the only other thing I found with my F, my personal experience with my F1. Uh, the spacing goes a little weird if you're using uh, thinner polyester-based films, like, say, Rolly Retro 400S or Derevpan, um, which is like tissue paper. If you can actually get it loaded. Yeah. And especially the 200 stuff. That is like Svema Photo 200. Thing. Yeah, I just don't go there. But I find anything that's acetate-based, it's perfect. You cannot mm. go wrong. So yeah, um, and what what do you expect to pay for these? Like the original and the new F one amps. I'm just going to call it the '70s vintage F one. Like think like uh, the MC five New York Dolls Ramones era. You know, you're looking anywhere between 150 US, maybe 250 US, depending on the example. Now, if we're talking the '80s F one, which means we're now talking Flock of Seagulls, Tears for Fears. And maybe uh, gotta at, love the pop culture references here, or at, or or the punk band X, uh, for or Romeo Void. You are looking at more money because they tend to start at like I don't know three hundred and go up, and it just and if you get a Canon F one that has like uh, that that's the Canon. Just a quick aside, did some very ex uh, aggressive sponsorship work with the the Olympic movement. So if you, they also had like a special editions for the Montreal Olympics. Lake Placid. I don't know if they did anything with Moscow, but they certainly did with Los Angeles. So if you come across one of those, expect to pay, pay a bit of a premium for just that. Mm -hmm. And um, the lens, and of course, lenses, uh, the, the uh, FD breech lock and the later FDN, which is a slightly different construction, they work forwards and backwards. And again, um, you really can't go wrong. Um, the F1 is like something everyone should have, probably have in their collection at one point or another uh, to shoot with. Uh, it'll give you trouble-free service. Um, so, yeah, um, that's my little two cents. And uh, who's next? Well, I think cost-wise, looking at the uh, camera that uh, Brian and James has, that would be me. Um, so going from manual focus to autofocus, I have with me today my Minolta Maxim 9. Now, if you've come on a Toronto Film Shooters meetup or regularly peruse my um, Flickr stream or see the work I put up on Facebook, this is my latest addiction. Um, this was the last professional camera released by Minolta before they became Konica Minolta, and then the whole thing was bought out by Sony. Um, it is very much like shooting a digital camera. Now, that's not to say I have given up my Nikon F5. I love that camera. It's a great camera. I have a fantastic set of lenses for it. But I also have a fantastic set of lenses for my uh, Maxim 9. Um, this 
is what I call the ultimate 35 millimeter SLR because not only does it have a fabulous meter, you can, um, it has a super fast shutter speed, like one one twelve thousandths of a second. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. It is fast. Um, but what makes this better than the F5 and even the F6 is the ergonomics. The grips are molded. Not only the grip on the body, but if you get the VC9 grip, the shutter release button is where you expect it to be. You don't have to reach all the way up to the top of the camera. It's about a, a third of the way from the top of the camera when you're holding it in, in portrait mode. And the grip is molded. It has the sensors in it so that you can use the eye start functionality. And now I keep that off. I find it very annoying because if I have it hanging around my neck, it's constantly trying to autofocus and auto expose. Um, it is just super easy to use. And what it also does, and again, it gets this, I, I say it got it from the F6 or the F6 got it from this, is that you can set it so that your tail stays out when you're rewinding the film. Oh, that's nice. They aren't cheap. Um, the Maxim 9, um, I got mine with a grip for about $450, which is inexpensive for the Maxim 9. Now, there is the uh, TI version, which goes for a little bit more. Um, and uh, another trouble is it can't use the most modern lenses either unless you get the SWM modification done. Now, I haven't had a chance to try mine to see if it does, but I am 90% sure that it doesn't. Another issue is actually getting the lenses. This uses the Minolta A-mount, which is what all modern Sony digital SLRs use as well. So the lenses will work on the Sonys, even the old Minoltas. But if you go for the older, like original Minolta branded ones, they're not too bad. I've been able to get my kit fairly, a lot quicker than I thought. And again, thanks to Downtown Camera for a lot of that. Um, so I have my full set of primes, a 28 to 50 and a short telephoto in the 100 millimeter macro lens, which is a great um, short telephoto for portrait stuff. Um, I also have an ultra wide, a 17 to 35, and then I have the two zooms, the 35 to 70 and the 70 to 210 beer can, which are fantastic. Um, if you want to get something of similar quality, I do recommend the Maxim 7, which is more aimed at the middle market. Again, it's the, it's the Minolta numbering system. Five and three are really for like the consumers. Sevens are for the advanced amateur. Nine are professionals. And that started all the way back with the 5,000, 7,000, and 9,000 autofocus maxims. And you can use all those old autofocus lenses on your new ones as well. And even your Sony digital SLRs. Um, very well laid out. Um, what I really like best is with the VC9 grip is that you can use three different types of batteries in it. You can use a 2CR5 battery. Um, you can use um, a pair of CR123As or four AA batteries will power it, hmm. which is That's convenient. half That's the number huge. of batteries that I'd need to power my F5. Right. And it's all in one grip, one tray. So... You don't need to go far. Um, unlike other professional cameras, it does have a built-in flash. Now, I do have the um, high-speed 
um, uh, program 5400 off-camera flash as well. There's wireless flash functionality. All the ports and covers, the, um, the covers are integrated into the camera body. So you don't have, you can't lose them. They're, they're always there. They're always on it. Um, the viewfinder is nice and bright. It's pretty much 100% coverage. Um, the um, readout on it is a little bit um, dim, especially when you have it in bright light. Um, and also, a lot of the functionality are done by physical knobs and dials rather than going through menus. Very few settings are done through menus. So it has quickly become um, my camera of choice when traveling because I can take off the grip and it makes it a little more lightweight, a little more compact. But for the most part, I use I just use the grip. The grip has, again, a dedicated on-off switch, um, two command dials, shutter release, auto exposure lock, autofocus button. Yeah, no, it... And it is just a beautiful camera. Physically, you look at it, and it looks it's like... It's got a, a lot of curves. Yeah, it does. Very curvy. It's a cool camera. Yeah. I think Minolta kind of... They were way ahead of their time for this camera. Well, they were way ahead, period, with their entire product line. It's just, sadly, they just did not have the traction in the market space. Mm. Like, it's like the Maxim 9 was there, like, hey, man, this is our answer to the F5. It's brilliant. I would have much rather have have this camera than an F five. Yeah, hands yeah. down. Yeah, and it's sadly, you know, sadly, it's one of those. It just didn't have the traction, yeah. and then Minolta disappeared as a camera company. It got swallowed up. Is that camera. a is that a pop up flash? Oh, it cool. sure is. And wow. the, the hot shoe mount looks proprietary. Yes, Minolta did. Um, I don't know which. Maxim it started on, but it is a proprietary mount. Um, but again, I've I've I recently acquired a um, off-camera flash for yeah. it as well. Now I haven't used this in a wedding, um, but I did get to do some work with um, some models at a um, recent Toronto Film Shooters meetup, um, which Brian nicely organized. And even the fifty one point seven lens, which is the cheaper of the two fifties. Just as good as a 1.4, don't spend the extra money. Um, the 1.7 is brilliant. It did a wonderful job. Um, yeah, no, this is this is now my dedicated travel camera because, again, I can take the grip off if I need a little more space, don't have enough room to drag out the big bag. Um, and, again, even if I put the 35 to 70 lens on it, does the job perfectly. Absolutely. Um, it is a little expensive. Um, like I said, um, but again, you can get a Maxim 7 for much less. And the Maxim 7 actually came out after the 9 and has the support for the SWM lenses. So um, if you are a Sony shooter and have Sony A-mount lenses, um, any of the Maxim series will be perfect. But again, um, a Maxim 9... Um, five or seven would be the camera of choice. They are the newer ones. And uh, yeah, just worth every penny you spend for it. Yeah. You can see how much um, technology or design, I don't know who stole it from who, but um, between this and the and, and Nikon, um, like from the F5 onwards, 
possibly the F4, uh, but more so, I think, from F5 onwards. The controls, dials, layout, ergonomics are, hmm. man, they're like neck and neck. Yeah. I've I've done, actually, a, a head-to-head between the Maxim 9 and the F5. Mm-hmm. And again, both came out both pretty great equally. great cameras. Um, plus, it now gives me an option that if I do want to get a full-frame digital SLR, I can go with either a Nikon or a Sony A99. And the A99s are actually cheaper than some of the uh, Nikon digital SLR bodies that I would like to get. And also bear in mind, Sony also makes the sensors. So it's basically integrated technology. And I and I think looking at the digital space, I think Sony's knocking it out of the ballpark. Oh, totally. Some of the legacy players, which you know we all know and love around the table, they're kind of almost struggling a little bit. Mm. Definitely. Now, the next two cameras, I don't know which one is more expensive. <laughs> um... Yeah, they're about about even. They are about even. So, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Um, So I'm going to be the enabler, I guess, for the for the day with uh, with the camera that I decided to to bring in and discuss. Um, So I have brought the Leica M6 uh, with, and the lens that I have on it right now is the 35 millimeter Summicron, uh, the third version, the made in Canada version. there's also, I have the 50 millimeter Summicron, the Rigid, which is a really, really wonderful uh, lens, both F2 uh, maximum aperture. So, um, you know, r- really quickly on, on Leica, okay, so um, I, I don't think Leica as a brand, um, as, uh, you know, its history and, and the photographers that have used uh, Leica cameras, bless you, um, I don't necessarily think that it fully needs, uh, you know, its own introduction. We probably could have a whole episode on that. On, no, we on have Leica. one planned. Okay. So, um, you know, Leica M3 was the first one. M2 came after it. Uh, M4, M5 is sort of the the ugly duckling of the group. And then the M6 um, is sort of the go-to um, camera if you want to have a meter. That's, that's the main difference between um, – I mean, obviously, there's other small differences here and there. But the M6 has a meter. Um, so, basically – it goes anywhere from one second up to one one thousandth of a second. There's no aperture priority mode, but on the back of the camera, you you put in your ISO uh, of the film that you uh, have in or of where you want to be shooting it or metering it rather. Um, and as you look through the viewfinder, there's going to be two little LEDs, two little red LEDs. There's a an arrow to the right side that points to the left side, and there's an arrow to the left side that points to the right side. And based on the ISO that you've chosen, based on the aperture that you choose on your lens, based on the shutter speed that you've chosen on the top of the camera, it's a very simple camera. Those are the only three things you can do with this camera. Um, You know, you look through and it either tells you, is it underexposed, is it overexposed, or is it properly exposed? And that's basically it. It's a center-weighted meter on the inside. It sits uh, on the curtain. You can actually see it if you take the lens off. Um, And that's basically it. So it's all manual focus does take two little batteries. Um, they are SR44 batteries, really really tiny ones. Easy um, to get your hands on. Really easy to get your hand on. And the nice thing is that the only thing the battery does in this camera is power the meter. Right. So if you don't have um, the batteries in it, everything works just the same. The shutter speed is all mechanical. Everything else is fine. It's just the meter you need the battery for. Um, there's no auto advancing. You're doing it all manually. 
Um, as you ad advance, it cocks the shutter and everything is ready to go there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, the Leica, the M6, it's a, for anyone that has photographed with the Leica, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to give you guys all kinds of hate mail or anything like that by talking about Leica, but it's one of those things that there, there is a lot of negative, um, talk about the Leica brand and about photographers that use, uh, Leicas. Um, and, and I know that there is a certain uh, air that that is often um, associated to. I mean, there's even, you know, the like a voice that, that Mr. Gutterman has on his podcast. Um, you mean Professor Gutterman. Professor Gutterman. <laughs> the, the thing is um, that, that I really want to, um, I guess, encourage listeners just just to kind of, I guess, be either be aware of or just think about is um, – it's not going to be for everyone. That's like, I mean, no. obviously, I don't think any camera is for everyone. Everyone's going to have their own preferences. Um, the Leica, shooting with a Leica, it, it is a great experience. And mm. it's, it's really easy to criticize the brand, the, um, you know, I'll call it snobbery that goes along with it because that's the word that, that often the community uses. Um, but oftentimes, what I've found in digging into that, those that criticize it, are often those that have never used one before. And I don't mean to be like, well, you have to use it before you can criticize it. And it, it doesn't, I don't mean to add to that, but it really is something that like, yeah, they're very expensive. No question. They are. Like this camera body is at least $2,000 US. The lenses are at least $2,000 US. Like, they're oh. not, they're not cheap. They're, it's not a cheap system to get into. No, it's not. But you also have to remember that a lot of Leica lenses and cameras are handmade. You are paying yeah. for the quality. Yeah. Now, I have used the M6. It's a great camera, but I'm not a rangefinder guy. Right. And so there are certain things about it that I don't like. Um, a lot of people have tried to slap me on the wrist because they're like, well, of course you don't like it. You're an SLR guy. I'm like, right. well, you know what? I, I, speak the, I speak truth when I, sure. when I review a camera or talk about a camera. I'm not saying it's a bad camera. I just am able to look at both the good and the bad about mm. them as an objective reviewer. The M6 is nice. Leicas are nice. I just have never gotten along with them. Yeah. They're an acquired taste. Like I, I, I inherited my dad's M3 from his estate, and I wound up buying, uh, Brian, you forgot the M42 and the M4P. Well, the M42 and the MP, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they were the main The cameras can that saved Leica. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah they saved true. Leica's. Uh, Thank you, Canada. Yeah. yeah, and thank you, Midland, Ontario plant. Anyway, I, I own an M42 and an M3, and I've used the M42. They're not for everything. Like Again, Leica has lovely little accessories that, you, yeah, you could do macro photography if you wanted to, but it's such a Rube Goldberg setup. It's like, why? Uh, they excel as a photojournalist tool. They excel as a travel camera because, yeah. honestly, would you rather run with one of these or an F6 with the whole, or a Maxim 9 with a Probably couple lenses. Or, heaven forbid. The Fuji GX680. <laughs> or the, the Fuji GX683 that we have sitting next to us. Which I, and there's also this bad boy, too. <laughs> yeah, or a speed graphic. Like an M6 with a 35 F2 and maybe either a 75 or a 92.8 Elmer at lens. You're basically sat. Like, yeah, you may want a super wide lens, but again, it's not going to, like, give you a hip trouble if you're walking 20 kilometers a day, say, in London or or, mm -hmm. or, or you know, or walking from Battery Park back up to oh, Bryant yeah. Park. Yeah. Or, or Old City, Quebec to Saint-Foy. 
Yeah, or something like that. Like it's not going to do that. But again, you're you're losing. There's no self timer. There's no depth of field preview. That doesn't exist. So if you're looking for, you know, you're going to say, well, hey, I can do that with a K1000. And it's like, well, yeah, if you want to, sure. But, yeah, the M, the M series, they're not for everybody. They're not for everything. But for what they're meant for, oh, boy, they sing. You know, the, the interesting thing is, like, you know, photojournalism is often where this camera is has been seen in history, right, in terms of the photographers that have used it. Um, and even today, the photographers that use the digital version of the M's. Mm. Um I, I've actually quite enjoyed it as a, a as a complement in a portrait situation. So I use the 50 millimeter Summicron, and that lens is from and I don't have it in front of me here, but it's from the 1950s. Um, the character on that lens mm-hmm. is just unbelievable. The bokeh you get out of it, to, and, and yet it's still unbelievably sharp. I so have, for a portrait lens, it's beautiful. Well, I have the collapsible 50 f2 Summicron that yeah. came with my dad's M3, so it's like a just same, slightly older, yeah. and it's the same deal. Same, yeah, absolutely. And it should be said that. Um, some of the first professional cameras were rangefinders, not SLRs. You just have to take a look at the works of um, Henri Cartier Breton. Breton. Um, Robert Capa carried a rangefinder. Yeah. Um, Jerry Grand. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I it was really the release of the Nikon F in 1959 that saw professional cameras yeah. switch from rangefinders to SLRs. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it went, you know, from. You know, since the Earth cooled to the 1940s, we had box cameras. Yeah. You know, from the 40s to the start of the 60s, we had rangefinders. From 60s onwards, uh, uh, SLRs. We had SLRs, and now we've gone kind of back to rangefinders and mirrorless cameras. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's it's a wonderful like, you know. Oftentimes we say it's not about the camera, and and I I would agree to an extent that this is getting into a much bigger discussion, but it it isn't about the camera, but I've always said that if the camera inspires you to photograph differently or to see differently, or if you enjoy the process of using the camera and therefore it makes you see differently and helps you or, see or even that it aligns with your style and 100%. your approach to Absolutely. shooting. Right? Sure. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I, I think I, and I agree with you. I think, you know, it's a, such a great point, Brian, because like a camera is an extension of the photographer. Yes. Right. Like, I mean, it's taking, I, you know, when I was teaching photography, I'd always explain it to students this way. They were always struggling with identifying their style and their approach to photography. I said, well, the challenge with photography is, you know, taking what's up here in, in between your ears, sprinkling a little bit with, you know, what's in your heart, and then translating that and, and putting all that into your hands into with this a tool. little box. Yeah. You know, so everything has to be connected. And if you're fighting the tool, yeah. you're not doing yourself any favors. No, so, of course not. You know, if, the, if a Leica works for you, yep. terrific. And if rangefinders work for you, more than likely, yep. a Leica is going to work for yeah, you. for sure. If a rangefinder style of shooting isn't your cup of tea, no Leica is going to work for you, you know, no Canonet, no Olympus, no whatever other kind of rangefinder there is out there. So you really shouldn't be harping too much on the brand of the camera. Of course right. not. You know, you're paying for a certain level, level of quality and prestige, and, you know, there are... Uh, intrinsic aspects to the design of like a glass that produces an image that looks a certain way. And if that's, that doesn't make it good or bad, that just makes it a characteristic. Yep. And if that's what you're looking for, then, Hey, that's what you save your money for. And that's what it. you go get. And, you know, you can put your, uh, 
your uh, tweed jacket on and uh, get your leather uh, elbow <laughs> pads and uh, call yourself Mr. Mike, Professor Michael Gutterman, and uh, you know. And hope you don't get blown up by a landmine in the Suez Crisis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or in Indochina. Yeah. There you uh, go. Yeah. No, right. But, it, Kappa was yeah, uh, yeah. killed in Indochina, landmine. And, yep. you know, as much as I have a love-hate relationship with Leica, <laughs> the minute I sold my M6, I started to miss it. <laughs> oh. maybe, and, maybe, Mr. Lee, you should get yourself an R6. I was thinking of maybe an R8 or an R9. Good you call. Know, go hard or go home. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And start an arms race with Mr. Gutterman. <laughs> You've been called out. Oh boy! Yeah, I know. Well, I gotta shoot more of the shelf queens I have today before I get anything new. Actually, yeah, yeah like this F one that you have here that I've sort of like, wow, this is an amazing. Do you see shape. that kit that there? So I, I bought that F one. So I got F one with the AE head, an eighty five one eight, uh, a twenty eight eighty five. Uh, what is this? Uh, 100, uh, 300, 300, one hundred three hundred five six L series. And a, and, a, and a Tokina 500 mil, I think, cat lens, mirror type lens, Yikes. for 300 bucks. Oh, and this uh, sports oh. uh, uh, speed finder head for 300 bucks Canadian because, you know, some grandma or, was, or, or mom was emptying her dad's, who's passed away, you know, wow. trunk of goodies. Yeah. So it's amazing what you can find out there. Well, the last camera we have on the table is the last of the... Uh, Pro bodies from Nikon. Now, I've always considered the F6 more of a camera for the advanced amateur, but it is single digit, which means it's professional. So take it, it away. is a professional camera, and uh, it's funny. Last, I'm you know I'm talking about this last on the podcast. It was the last of Nikon's professional cameras, and this is the last Nikon F6 sold by Nikon Canada. So I actually have a receipt. You bought a new from them. I bought a brand new. Uh, I have full warranty. I have a proper receipt. I have everything. I paid twenty one hundred and forty five dollars for this damn camera, um, and worth every penny, in my opinion. It won't be for for everyone, but um, you know, I really consider the F six essentially kind of the last bastion of the modern film camera. Um, it was launched in, in two thousand and four, announced at Photokina, um, and uh, it really surprised a lot of folks back then because this was kind of the dawn of the digital camera. This is when the Nikon D200 came out, the D2, the D2X, etc. And uh, so it was pretty surprising. Um, uh, it, essentially, the camera shares a lot of the inner workings, the film transport mechanism um, of the F5, um, all shoehorned in to a D2 series type of body. Uh, the camera, it is the Cadillac of film cameras. Uh, comes essentially fully loaded with data imprint on the negative, an intervalometer to uh, do time-lapse photography, um, uh, state-of-the-art, like this is the number one exposure system for film. Like I, I shoot slide with this camera, throw it in aperture priority. You know, I, I may compensate here and there for foreground and background exposure, but other than that, it's like the exposure system is dead on balls accurate, to quote uh, my cousin Vinny. Um, <laughs> uh, and with this camera, you, you can be in manual lens heaven if you so choose. Um, you do have to get the body modified by Nikon if you want to use pre-AI lenses. Um, and then you have to kind of uh, move a little tab that they install on there for the, uh, the, AI, uh, the pre-AI stuff to work. Um, I personally, 
you know, I, why? I, why? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a modern autofocus camera. It's designed, um, well, it, it's, I guess, the, the modern Nikon, all the ED, the new AFS uh, G-type lenses are all, I guess, backwards compatible to this mm-hmm. camera. Um, so if you're using that kind of, you have that sort of glass available to you to use pre-AI lenses seems a little counterintuitive to me. Obviously, if you love, you, you know, the look of those lenses and you have a huge collection of them, right. certainly something that might make sense for a lot of people. Um, the cool thing, or one of the interesting things about this camera is the uh, flash sync, um, unlike the F5 that goes to 1 300th of a second, the um, F6 uh, only goes to 1 250th of a second. However, you, um, if you're using an SB800 or newer flash with the, um, uh, in the FP mode, um, you can uh, sync this camera um, uh, with the high-speed TTL, like, you know, up to 1 8,000th of a second. So just you'll chew through batteries like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's a good, like if you want to do, um, if you're shooting outdoor portraiture yeah. and you want a wide open aperture and it's bright as hell outside and, uh, you need a little bit of fill flash and you're shooting at, at, at 1.4. Uh, so you know, your shutter speed might be two, one, two thousandths of a second. And you just want that little pop of fill. You can do that with yep. this camera. The other cool thing about the Nikon F6 is that you can utilize Nikon's creative lighting system with this camera, which for those of you who have not used Nikon's creative lighting system, um, the Nikon CLS is the reason why I shot Nikon professionally as opposed to, say, Canon or any other system out there because the lighting system with the, with the Canon, or sorry, with the Nikon speed lights, they all operate independently of the camera when the camera is in manual mode. So the flashes themselves expose... Um, your subject for you. So they're already measuring the light automatically and you can control the intensity of all, all the different flashes and you can control up to four different groups of flashes. It's such an incredible, incredible thing. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a great camera. The metering, it, it uses a thousand and five element color sensor in the viewfinder. So, um, if you're going to shoot color film with this camera, which I recommend that you do, it's really built to shoot color and slide. Your, your metering is just going to be amazing. Um, one of the things I do recommend, if you're shooting black and white with this camera, I generally take it, and when I shoot black and white with any camera that has matrix mode metering, I switch it to center weighted. Mm. Um, and that's because I, I, in my research and my experience, I, I, matrix metering is more geared towards color film. Mm-hmm. Um, and black and white, um, you're not dealing with you know color intensity and things like that. So you do get generally get a, a better... A baseline exposure for black and white using center interesting weighting. experience because I have an F4 which is a few generations behind that mm-hmm. and I one New Year's Eve uh, there was a CCR sort of member poor group wander around in Hamilton and of course by the end of the day I was wishing for quick death with some weird mutant cold bug that sort of came oh, out of the yeah, space I for a few hours that. But I was shooting with my, my Christmas present, which was an F4, and I was experimenting. I was pushing Triax to 1600, and it was like, okay, I was playing around with both center-weighted and matrix. I found with matrix metering and black-and-white film, the uh, the results got muddy. Yep. And I had to like work like mad in Lightroom to pull out pull out stuff to make it sort of usable. Whereas color, matrix metering, oh boy, that thing just sings. It sings, yeah. Particularly the and Portra. I'll have to try that. Yeah. Yeah, so as a general rule, that's, you know, I mean, do, hey, do what you want, but that's 
that's what works for me. I never, I never preach the right way. I only preach my way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it, it sort of comes down to this is my personal experience. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Experiment yourself. Figure out what's best for you. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Did you say the shutter speed goes to one? So I, I'm wondering if that could almost be labeled as like the if you wanted the ultimate bokeh experience. <laughs> Because yeah. um, the I don't know if you've if you've photographed with it before I switched to on the digital side before I switched to Fuji mm-hmm. I had a Nikon D5 yeah. and I had the 105 1.4 mm-hmm. which was an I love un- that lens believable oh, yeah. lens and the bokeh out Insane. of that lens I've never seen anything like Insanity. that in my life and so the fact that you could shoot that. Yeah. On a film, I don't know what other yeah. film yeah. lens and body combination would get you that same ability to get F5 that. F five maybe. Uh, I think the F five. I don't think it sinks to one eight thousandth. Maybe it's one sixty four. One sixty four hundred. I guess I'll I'm have to take too, a like, look. I the, yeah. I own an F five. Yeah. Um, and I use the old one hundred five F two D. Yeah. And that is which hands, is a great lens too. Hands down, my yeah. favorite portrait yeah. lens. Uh, my favorite portrait used to be the eighty-five one point four. It is it is the one hundred five one point four. Yeah, and I was so damn close to buying it, but I was like twenty-five hundred dollars plus it's tax. So expensive. <laughs> I don't shoot portraits anymore. And the autofocus on it yeah. is actually amazing. Yeah, like I used it for three years. Yeah. Uh, wedding receptions yeah. in like super low light well, and it autofocus. Yeah. What's like the every what's the latest single... Nikon digital? Is it the eight thousand eighty five hundred or something? The eight fifty. Eight fifty. The eight that yeah. coupled with the an eight fifty, yeah. which is the same as the D five. D- right? yeah. The D five yeah. with it, it was like you, you you like if you look at the button the wrong way, it's it's focused. Like it, you oh, don't yeah. have to do anything. Yeah. It's unbelievable. and I, I still have my D four, but yeah. like you know, I was like. Nah, I'm not gonna drop like 15 grand on <laughs> you know like yeah. I'd love to if I had sure. it but uh, you know it you know it's like like this camera is incredible it, it's really um, uh, it's the last film camera that was essentially built on what is the now digital chassis yeah. for Nikon um, you know it they they put in the new uh, cam 2000 module which is the autofocus module for this camera mm. which has 11 sensors nine nine cross hatched areas so the autofocus is just deadly accurate um, uh, it doesn't have a dedicated vertical grip like the f5 does so you have to buy the MB40 grip if you want um, I actually got this the last MB40 grip <laughs> brand new at Adorama <laughs> screw you Adorama Stop Don't worry, you can have a long hot shower afterwards yeah, I know. I feel, and scrub yourself with I, bleach. I feel somewhat uh, somewhat dirty inside now. But anyway, um, that's only because they write shitty articles about uh, film photographers. Well, yeah. That... <clears throat> Crummy content by people who really don't care. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about you, Petapixel. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so with the MB40 grip, it uh, by default it takes four AA batteries uh, or possibly six or eight, actually. Uh, let's find out. Uh, eight AA batteries. I recommend using the lithium ones. They're a little bit lighter if you're going to use this. Um, otherwise, you um, can get... Uh, it has a, a battery holder for the um, Nikon lithium-ion battery, the, the rechargeable one. Great battery. Um, like the, I don't know, ENEL4, maybe it is. Yep. I don't know. You'd have to... Don't quote me on that. Look it up if you're interested. Um You'd have to buy a charger for it. I think it's the same battery that was used in the D200 and the D2, D2X. Uh, D300, I think, probably shared the same battery, or perhaps it was a newer, new one for the 300. Um, it's obviously a lot lighter, uh, holds a lot more charge. Otherwise, if you're not using the grip, 
It takes two CR123A batteries, uh, which lasts a long time. Nikon says um, uh, it will last, I think, up to, I don't know, like 12 rolls of film or something like that. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a good camera. Unlike the F5, which I think was like a love it or hate it camera, and simply because the F5 was Nikon's like first sort of build into that big integrated vertical grip, big pro camera, um, you know, and, and prior to that was the F4 and the F4S, uh, which was a much lighter, big camera, but much lighter compared to an F5. Um, so I think this was kind of re of a refinement on that with a few more, with a couple different options for, you know, form factor and size and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, great camera. Um, you know, I, 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 it's my favorite camera. I really can't say anything bad about it other than the cost. Like, you know, people say, well, why don't you get an F100? Why? Because it's an F100 versus an F6. Like, you know, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's like F100s now are, well, really, it's sort of like if you really want an autofocus body on a budget. And as much as I love the F4, I kind of consider it Nikon's last manual focus. Oh, body. hands down. Because uh, the autofocus on that is, well, it's okay. I'm not going to damn it, but... A lot of working pros, if you didn't switch to Canon in the late 80s, early 90s, when EOS, the EOS 1.1, I guess. EOS 1. EOS 1 came out. Then they were like scrambling to buy the N90S in the U.S. or the F90X everywhere else. And that's like was the everyone's favorite, I quote, quote unquote, called the dentist and uh, doctor's body because that's what they bought you know, when they go on holiday. Uh and, and, though, and if you're looking for an autofocus body cheap, that's the one you roll with. Sadly, my example bricked on me, and it's now a paperweight. Someone wants the battery holder, and I think I'll probably dispose of the rest uh, responsibly. And I'm sort of debating, do I want another F90X, or do I just... Uh, I, but I got an F4, and I shoot mostly manual focus anyway, and there you go. No, um, but there is definitely more to um, shooting professionally than just having a professional camera. Anyone can buy a professional camera. And then they pop it on the little green box, and then off they will go. That's right. Um, if, but, if I can even just interject, Alex, like yeah, a, a thought go. on that. Like I, um, I mentioned in a previous episode, um, I, I've been a professional photographer for 13 years. I, I coach and teach professional photographers, and one of the things that I've found to be true is, um, and, and you know, I would assume that there's an element of this from, from the film days as well. But, you know, the, the camera itself, I've seen, I've seen amazing photographs, amazing, beautiful wedding albums, great wall portraits, um, all done with what you would consider to be a not professional camera. And yet I've also seen really, really crappy pictures taken with professional cameras. And so it's just interesting that, like, d distinction, that sort of, like, bucket of saying professional camera. Certainly there's some things that, that we as professional photographers will need as a, as a tool. Um, but also, I would say, you know, you don't need a professional camera necessarily to, to be a professional. No. No, you could walk along and probably roll in with a Holga and rock it. And again, the one thing that is most important with shooting professionally is you have to remember you're not shooting for you. You're shooting for the client, whoever is paying for you. So if the client says, I really like your work with a toy camera... Yeah. You better damn well be sure you show up with your Holga. 
Or a Diana. Or a Diana, or something along the similar lines. Or a Lomo LCA or some kind. You know, it's interesting. I'm actually, I have a family portrait tomorrow um, down in Niagara, and I was talking with the clients, a friend of a a family that I had photographed several times over the years, and, uh, you know, she asked me the question, and she was asking about, because she's, you know, follows me on Twitter or on um, Instagram and all these things, and she was asking about, black and white and she goes oh yeah you know so for black and white blah 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 like, I love the work she goes just out of curiosity like will, will we have black and white and color or will it be all black and white blah 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 like do you have to change the this and I and I, I said to her I said well I'm like I'm photographing digitally so like I'm you know I this I said but a lot of the stuff that you've seen on my Instagram lately has actually been film work I mean I if you'd actually prefer if you like that look and you prefer me to photograph on film like let me know I would love to do like a full family portrait session on film she goes you do whatever you have to do. We love what you do. So just do it however you need to that's do it. That's the kind of client. And I'm like, that's the client you want. Yeah. That is yeah. the client that I look for yeah. in every single yeah. page. You know what job. the worst type of client is? Mm. Here's some sample Here's shots that I saw yeah. from another photographer. Well, why the yeah. F didn't you go hire that yeah. photographer? Right. But see, that's the interesting thing about the professional like designation or the, or the tag or the label yeah. where it's like, as a professional photographer, our goal should be to... Um, build a brand, build a style, build yeah. a visual message, uh, uh, even yeah. a way of communicating where that's what you're, that's and sell that's yourself every, on and sell who, yourself who on you are. Exactly. Yeah. Like exactly. I, your vision. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like so many, you know, like we've, you know, we, we've walked a lot of the same path, yeah. you and I, and, and, you know, it's so funny. Like people, they're, they're tr- photographers are trying to find who they are in someone else. Yeah. You know, yes. you know, find who you discover who you are or in something else yeah. as like a camera. Yeah, It's not about the camera. It's, yeah. it's how you see the world, how yeah. you interpret yeah. what you see yeah. and how good you are at creating what you see yeah. in a, in a three dimensional world into yeah. a one dimensional piece of paper, yeah. you know, another good example of that. I was talking with a friend who, who's a, you know, digital photographer, but also is, is, is in film as well. Actually, it's, it's who I bought the M6 off of. Um, and he was telling me, you know, he was sort of entertaining getting into the Fuji, the digital space. And, you know, he said, yeah, you know, the, my main hesitation is that I don't see any other photographers, the influencers, you know, the Instagram stars, all that, that do the kind of photography that I want to do. I don't see them shooting with Fuji. And I said, so like the camera it, yeah. like it's, it, it's all about the results like the yeah, client exactly. has no doesn't care no. they i have heard horror stories like i have a few friends who are wedding shooters and it's like again they their worst nightmare is instagram mm. <laughs> not instagram yeah. actually it's pinterest, pinterest yeah. but it's like literally saying oh do you shoot on a canon yeah but see but that's the challenge for professional photographers yeah. today right it's it's like you are interviewing your client mm-hmm. as much as they are interviewing 100%. you and yep. and if there's no chemistry there walk oh, away walk Jeez. away like yeah. i mean you know that that is the or it, try a different oh, I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've got a story yeah. from, i got a story <laughs> get a new camera <laughs> i've got a story for the ccr world um this is my one and only wedding shoot i really didn't want this a friend's dad, um, a friend of mine I've known for years, uh, he, his wife passed, and he was getting remarried. I've never shot a wedding before, by the way. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I shot, a, I, I shot as, a, as a casual guest at a friend's wedding in the Gatineau's 10 years ago. The photos turned out pretty, really good, actually, but it was considering it was bl- just black and white. It's in a tent. 
And I was halfway back, and I was shooting with a 200-millimeter lens just to get, you know, something decent. But that's besides the point. So my friend's dad calls me up three weeks before the wedding. Hey, Bill, I, I, you know, he's, he's an Irishman. He was like, I, I hear you're, you're a photographer. And he's like, yeah, you had me for an event two years before. Knock, the, knock this off. What, what do you need me for? I'm getting married in three weeks, and I'm just sitting here going, oh, darn, no, 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 no. Okay, for you, for you $2,000. And I was just sitting here, just quote a price high enough for him. They'll say, oh, no, you're too... And he was hell-bent on booking me because, as usual, for anyone out there, if you're getting married anytime soon, you book your wedding photographer a year well in advance. Well in advance. A year in advance. Now, um, Mr. W decided, no, I, I, I want to do it three weeks before, and I want you to do it. And I'm sitting here, no, I don't want to. Well, he low-balled me down to 300 bucks, and I gave him a $300 job. Oh, God. You went from 2000 down to 300 Oh, <laughs> no yeah. No wonder, thankfully, that yeah. was your last wedding. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you. Let you me go further. He was a former, a former senior law enforcement official. I won't name the police agency he worked for. But needless to say, it was like he sort of rammed up the ramped the charm up to eleven, and he was just like, "Okay, yeah, whatever, fuck it, I'll do it." Okay, just to get you off my case, get it done. And it was like uh, the, I was in an Anglican church on in, in Southwest Oakville, where I live. The church was built in the I'd say late fifties, early sixties, and it had all the charm of a Cold War bunker. Oh. Yikes. No light at all, and I couldn't use a flash. Oh, it and reminds it, me a lot of the uh, Old Mills Chapel. Yeah, the and K, essentially, even if, you, even if you push film... It's so pretty to, if everything's lit by candlelight. Yeah, you're like, yeah. yeah. and it's For like, you. even if you ramped it up to like... Even if you push to like 12,000, it would still look like you're... It, it would be murky. Yeah. Not Very little turned out. He wasn't happy. I haven't talked to them since. And it's like good riddance. And it's like yeah. I, I just like, like but, I'll do headshots for friends for LinkedIn and stuff on occasion if they're really super nice to me and they buy me dinner and liquor me up really good afterwards. Sure, why not? It, but if it's for friends only, so if you're just some guy in the CCR saying, "Hey, Bill, can I, can can you do my head?" No, see what <laughs> we I'm, just what, say no. Anytime I'm shooting professionally, and I do occasionally, will shoot professionally. You know, like an odd job here and there. Mm. But when I was shooting professionally, like one of the the, the the number one thing I was trying to identify with every single client or prospect that I met is what is your motivation for photography? Because if your motivation is purely cost or quantity, I am not the photographer for oh, you. Oh, I exactly. am. Exactly. Like as professional photographers, in my opinion anyway, is – we are selling an experience yeah. where photography is the output of That's that right. experience. And if you're not, if you want, if you're a professional photographer or an aspiring professional photographer, you got to ask yourself, am I in the business of selling photographs or am I in the business of selling an experience? Yeah. Because selling photographs are great as a one-time thing if you're good at producing photographs, but you don't get any referrals out of that. Right. No. no one talks about it. They're like, I paid so-and-so, Joe Blow, professional photographer, and I got these photographs. What you want your clients to be saying is, you know, Brian Caparici was my wedding photographer. He's amazing. You know, like, look, at we went to all these places. It was so much fun. I'm so nervous, and you know, in front of the camera. He 
made, he was able to make me relax. It, we were just having a conversation. I didn't even realize he was taking photos. And then when I saw them, yeah. they were like the best thing in the world. Well, and I'm going to tell every single one of my girlfriends about this. Well, the, the interesting thing about that, and I, I tell this story often when I teach about this topic I call experience design, which is this whole process of how we as photographers can create an experience for our clients. And I often say, you know, um, for years, and, well, and even now, you know, I when I photograph a wedding, like there's as much that goes into relationally what's happening and communication wise and just like the energy that I have and I I know everyone's names like I have it all ahead of yeah. time I'm calling it's just, just all kinds of you things have that go to into be it. one of the family you have to when be you yeah, there. you have to be and so at the end of the night oftentimes you know I'm saying goodbye to the bride and groom or it's dinner time whatever it is um, I have over the years many times booked family portraits booked yep. weddings that night yep. And I've got, you know, groomsmen and bridesmaids that are saying yeah. like, oh, you were just yeah. like, you were so awesome. Yeah. Like this was like, yeah. we want to have you come and photograph yeah. our daughter. We want to yeah. have you come do this. And I'm thinking in my head, you haven't even seen the pictures yeah. yet. Mr. Ted Smith, are yeah. you listening? Yeah. How? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I got well, one. no, I, the reason I say that is, is you know, I, was, I had a chat with Ted the other yeah. day. He, he's aspiring. Yeah. Um, uh, and I put him onto your podcast as okay. well. Um, uh, he, he's an aspiring professional yep. photographer. He, he's shooting film and, you know, he was puzzled. He said, look, I hear all these people, mm. you know, they, they put a few photos up on Facebook and they've got all these bookings. And I said, well, what you have to understand, Ted is 99% of photographers lie. Yes. Um, that's simply not true. Yep. Nothing in this business happens overnight and it happens one client at a time. Mm. And it happens when you sell an experience because yep. people remember an experience. They don't remember photographs. Photographs get looked at. Yep. They get go in the album. The album gets closed until someone is born. Yep. Someone gets married or someone dies. Yep. Hands down. And yep. that's when yep. they come out. But the experience happens over coffee, yep. happens at dinner, happens at the water cooler at work. That's what you're selling. You're yep. not selling photographs. Oh, hands down. Well, I um I photographed a, a friend's wedding mm -hmm. and I do a lot of stuff for, for friends. I'm very picky about my clients because this isn't my day job. I don't make a lot of money off of my photography, but I always make sure that there is money involved. There is a contract involved. And at this one wedding, it was for um, a friend of mine who I knew through exploring abandoned buildings, etc. I was so thankful that at the reception, I was seated with all the other paid help. So I sat with the band I knew no one. All my friends were at another table. I was so glad I wasn't at that table because they were drunk by the time they hit the reception. Mm -hmm. I got to give my card to two Toronto newspaper people who go, we love the way you handled yourself. Yeah, That's good. Like I, I'm going to give another story, and this is sort of like a gig that actually went really well. And the client is a friend I've known for... I'm going to say 35 years, roughly, give or take. And, I've, and the thing is, I also know her younger sister and her older brother. They're all friends of mine. And um, actually, this one was almost my prom date, but that's a story for another day. And again, I should also preface, I don't shoot professionally. I'm a marketing communications guy. It's a day job. Uh, so yeah, Kev, that's a little sidebar right there. So my friend Ann said, hey, Bill, I need some family shots. I need some prints. Uh, it's a Christmas present. Uh, we don't have a ton of money. Her her partner is a wine. He works for a wine merchant, so he's a he's basically a sales rep for a, a wine a high end wine distributor in Ontario. So and their son was a 
think two at the time. And his name was also his name was Will, and uh, I had the best time shooting them. And I shot them on medium format on my Mimi SC220. The prints turned out amazing. I got fed probably one of the nicest lunches I've ever had because her partner Glenn was uh, a former chef, and of course um, it was sort of a barter trade. So I wound up with probably about I don't know a, a case of wine that if you were to order in a restaurant. The equivalent of that whole case is probably somewhere close to a thousand dollars. So it's like, okay, that's nice. My wine, my wine, my wine stash was replenished, and believe me, when I went to dinner parties for the next six months, uh, I was quite popular. <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, I don't do this for a living. So it's sort of like, uh, like everyone else, say for Brian here around the table. Um, you know, it's my creative release, and yeah, if I sell something along the way, that's great. If you see yep. a, see something online you want to print of, yeah, I'm more than happy to sell you the sell you a print. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was contacted um, back in October by someone from the Globe and Mail who wanted to use two of my photos of um, the memorial cairn for the War of eighteen twelve engagement at Cook's Mills. I got paid for it. They actually contacted me through the CCR account. And so that was published back in October in the Globe and Mail. That is really cool. I got paid. And the yeah. best part? <clears throat> Film photos. So the interesting thing, I don't know how much how much longer um, you know, we want to chat, but I, I thought that would be an interesting um, dialogue on the topic of professional photography. Um, professional photography using film. I just, I don't know. If there you, are people out there that, that do was it, what this was sort of okay. leading towards. And whenever I shoot a wedding, yeah. I make sure I have a, I have a digital camera. Now, my digital camera is a Sony A6000, which is an APS-C size sensor mirrorless camera. It's small, but I can use all my manual focus lenses right. on it. So, again, the camera doesn't matter. But I also make sure that every wedding I shoot, whether they pay for it or not, I shoot film. Mm. And I will bring my Maxim 9, I'll bring my Roloflex, I'll bring my F5, and most importantly is that I will shoot film that I know, I know how it behaves, and I know that I can process it right. Well, it's also you have advanced knowledge of the lighting environment. I did not have that with my friend's dad's wedding with the bunker of a church. Yeah. The Cold War bunker, I should say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I shot, well, when I got started in film photography in the 90s. Um, it was just photography back then. Yeah, sorry, yeah. yes. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, you know, and people forget that today. Yeah. It's still just photography, guys. Yeah. The medium might have changed. Right. Um, but yeah, when I was a, a wedding photographer in the 90s, I got into it in high school. I put myself through uh, university with it. Um, and yeah, we sold packages, you know, and it was basically, you know, a basic package was a pro pack. So, mm. you know, five rolls of 120. Yep. Um, you know, if they wanted some black and white, like three rolls were color, two rolls were black and white, and maybe two or three rolls of 135, 36 exposure film. And that was it. But we didn't do things like hang around at the reception for, um, you know, uh, two hours, three hours. We didn't right. stay till the end of the night. We did, we, we shot the ceremony. We shot the formals. I, I, you know, I couldn't afford a Hassie at the time. So I shot it on a Bronica SQA. Yep. And you know, that's where you shot. That's how we shot our formals. And that was it. Like you were in and out and done in like 
you know, three, four hours. It was a totally different game. So I think, you know, doing it today, um, you like the amount of prep work, I yeah. think, you know, has to be really well thought out. Like it, you really, because you're limited with exposure and, um, you know, you don't want to, and you, you really have to manage, I think, the whole sort of wedding day itself because um, it's not like you can, you know, push or pull film mid-roll. You know, right. so unless you're, you're shooting portrait oh, 400. Unless it's portrait, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, back then, yeah. you know, when it was just photography, right. you had your, you know, you basically had um, uh, portrait NC and portrait VC. Mm. And, you know, they were two, like, you know, 400 speed films and they didn't have the same um, latitude as, yeah. as you have yeah. today. So you really had to, to really think think it out really well. I don't know why people just don't shoot all weddings in black and white film today. Like for me, yeah. like it's just like I mean, it's magical. Like, yeah. and it's timeless. Totally. Well, it, it's oh, ageless. Now, one person who shoot I know in the film photography podcast community, Rachel Brewster Wright of Sunny Sixteen. She she makes her living off of doing film photography for weddings. If you don't follow her on Instagram, follow Little Vintage Weddings. Her work is incredible. Yeah, and she somehow makes it work. And again, it's like she's in environments that are centuries old and even darker than the Cold War bunker that I was in. Uh, so yeah, it's like one of those. It, it's a pity she isn't around the table or even in on Skype because she probably have stories to tell us. Uh. I think the the thing that I've um, learned in teaching business and communications and marketing and sales to photographers, and now also being able to marry that with film and this this thing that we that we do that we love to do, is um, I think there's going to be two reasons that you are a professional photographer photographing on film. Um, one of the reasons is that it's just what you do for your own creative process, your own enjoyment, your own fulfillment. And your clients, like the client that I was talking with earlier that I said, she just says, you know, do what you got to do. You know, you do you. However you get it doesn't matter. I love what you do. So if you have to shot film to get that, great. If you shoot digital get to get that, great. But like to the client in that situation – the medium itself is not relevant. It's, they're not going to say like, oh yeah, we, we booked you because you're a film photographer. No, we booked you because we love your work. And so therefore, if you need to shoot film to do that, then just do your I thing. I 100% agree with That's you. That's one totally. reason. I think there's a lot of really interesting opportunity in the second reason, which is if you can speak to, if you can communicate about um, the nuances of film. Not... In the finished product, because I think, and like I'll probably make a lot of people upset by saying this, but in a blind, you know, test, I don't know if a lot of consumers would be able to tell the difference between a film image and a digital image that was edited to look like a film image. Oh, right, totally. And don't worry about offending people. We do that every okay, episode. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, it, you can't be on the internet and not piss. Right, someone this off. is true. Hands down. Yeah. So, I don't think that film photographers, if you're trying to photograph on film professionally, I don't think that photographers can say like, "Hire me because of you know I have the look of film." I think a lot of photographers fool themselves in saying that. Yeah. Like they say they call it fine. Like art. film is not going to like save whatever. Your, film save itself your, yeah. is not save your is ass. not a thing. Yeah. Uh, right. Last I checked, the Kardashians are no. not professional no. photographers. No. At all. However, I think that there's a lot of um, potential and a lot, big opportunity in um, speaking to the actual, the nostalgia part of film, right? Or, or, or the, the, uh, 
the, well, the reason that we shoot film over digital, like the, the process and the, you know, the, the, the fact that you've got a physical thing and it's a tactile thing. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a thought process that goes into it. You know, I, I told the story actually on uh, negative positives back when I was on, on that podcast. And I said, you know, for years, my wife and I have been together for almost 15 years. And, um, you know, every time we would go on vacation and we'd go anywhere, we'd go on cruises, we'd go to Florida, we'd go to San Juan, whatever. We would collect little jars of sand from any beach that we went on. And so now in our home, we have this like beautiful little showcase and we'd come home, we'd put them in these like really cool ornate glasses and we put have a little label made up for them. And now they're sitting there and we've now collected sand from all the places that we've been to. You know, our feet have been in this, that sounds actually kind of gross, but anyways, you know, we've, we've been to the beaches that we collected those sand from. And so, you know, we collect sand. And the interesting thing about film is that when you photograph on film, you've got this physical change, this state change on that piece of film that you're saying like, that light that was there when I made that image, when you were enjoying that moment, as you were saying these vows, as you were running in those hills for your family portrait, that light, that moment was literally captured yeah. physically literally on a piece of etched film. on a physical it was piece etched. of thing. Never yeah, to down. be undone, yeah. Yeah. never to be changed. That is yeah. a physical change, and like there's there's an element of um, of of beauty in that, yeah. right? And so I think that photographers. And then you're, you're you're trusting the process yeah, of right, film right. because like once you click that shutter button, yeah. you have no control anymore. Totally, yeah, not at all. Yeah. Totally, and that's why being able to show confidence, yeah. not only in yourself, your own ability, but the medium yeah. inside mm-hmm. that sure. camera. Yeah. And that is the one thing that I always try to make sure that when I say, "Yeah, I'm going to be shooting film," and they kind of, kind of look at me, given you have to have like that confidence. But I think the thing that's that's so interesting is it's that story. It's like the story of photographing on film. Mm. People buy experiences like that is Mm -hmm. the state of of how people buy today, especially as the, the biggest part of our market today is millennials yeah. and millennials buy experience. Yeah. We buy like, I want the organic apple versus the non, it's like, yeah. well, what is really the difference between those two pieces of fruit? Other Nothing. than that one has well, a label on an, it and the other one doesn't. There's an appreciation yeah, of what you're story. holding in your hand. Exactly. Hands down. And yeah. so I think that if photographers double down on that, if you want to photograph professionally and charge to photograph on film, if you make that a part of the story that you sell mm. and enable your clients to almost take ownership on that story. And I've had it now only a couple times because I'm very selective on when I want to actually photograph film for clients. But I've had a couple where, you know, I actually did one. Was, I posted in the, the negative positives there. Um, it was a boudoir session. And so her uh, significant other, her partner, is like really into like the 80s, 90s aesthetic. He loves mm-hmm. that that whole vibe. He loves the film thing. He mm-hmm. follows Jason Lee, you know, who does mm-hmm. all this, you know, large format yeah. film stuff. Throw some and color so, plus in there. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. So when we were when we were talking, right? Like when we were talking about playing the session and she just was like, "Oh, you shoot on film. Like you you can shoot on film." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Can we do the entire session on film?" I'm nice. like, "Yes." She's like, "Because that part of the story like and it's now in a book. Mm-hmm. She's now given it to her partner." But when she gives it to her partner, she says, "In all of these images were made on film. Like that there is a go. part. It's a part of the story yeah. that, yeah. like, the look at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter what the images look like. Yeah. It's the fact that when she hands it over, when she tells people, when she talks about that experience, 
it's a part of the story. Yeah. And I think people buy the story yeah. yes. more than they buy the yeah. end result. Oh, hands down. And that all hands lends down. itself to the experience, right? Exactly. And, and that's the one thing as film photographers we have to thank digital for because yeah. digital photography has made film photography artisanal. Yeah, no, you're yes. totally right. Fine art. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, we could go on for hours on this. <laughs> yeah, and like we, we, we could do a whole year's episode on this stuff. We have already gone over an hour, which is very long for CCR, so we're going to just wrap it up. Um, so my name's Alex Lokes, and if your lens stays rigid for more than four hours, seek medical attention. Oh, Jesus. This is James Lee. <laughs> you don't have to be paid to be a pro. This is Bill Smith. Don't get paid in exposure dollars. This is Brian Capricci. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs>